When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. And yes, that is right. We have a preseason contest to break down. The Minnesota Vikings after Friday night are officially 1-0 in the preseason. Matthew Collar here with you as always. And from TCO Performance Center on the line, Courtney Cronin. Uh, we made it, Courtney. We have a football game to analyze. How about that? You know, it, I hope we have a week's worth of content from four quarters of exciting football. We avoided overtime. Um, you know, we had we had a few challenges that uh, were declined and, and timeouts were lost. So there are a full ton of storylines. Like we finally have something to talk about other than, you know, how do you guys look? How's the offense look? Because now we at least have some indication. I mean, I know that they only played nine snaps together the first team unit that is uh, on Friday, but we at least have an indication. We have a starting point now more than just speculation of what Kevin Stavansky is going to look like as a play caller, what Kirk Cousins looks like early on in the second season in Minnesota. Um, so it gives us a starting point or a launch point. Oh, uh, good, if you want to call it that. Um that uh, we can go from now. Uh, another thing that we have here is a better sense of what the actual depth chart is. For example, yes. in the unofficial depth chart, and neither you and I, you or I was buying this, but Jordan Taylor was ahead of someone like BC Johnson, and it was just not that believable because Jordan Taylor hasn't done anything in the, in the training camp practices, and BC Johnson has gotten shout-outs from Mike Zimmer and has looked good at times. So um, I, we can get to that and how BC Johnson and played in the second team offense, but I just thought it's worth pointing out that now we have a true sense for how they feel um, about things beyond just what they've shown us in the unofficial depth chart. But let's start with that first team offense you referenced. Uh, you just couldn't have asked for any better beginning for Kirk Cousins in the first team offense to throw a 35-yard pass to get you to the one-yard line, four for four for Kirk Cousins. I mean, just sort of everything that you wanted to see from the first team offense. Yeah, I think the only the only critique I would have of that because Cousins was four for four for sixty five yards and a touchdown. Um, there were some penalties on that drive that you know it's the preseason. It's also the preseason for the referees. They're trying to figure it out, but clean those things up and the type of ball that Kirk threw to Adam Thielen because I went back at halftime on Friday and rewatched it just to make sure I, I was like seeing things correctly, like. Eli Apple didn't get his head back in time, head around in time. So I don't think it ever would have been picked considering he was the corner that was trailing Thielen. But that was not a great thrown ball. Uh, I, I, at first it looked like it because it's, and I think my, my mind was thinking, okay, 
it's nice to see that deep ball action with Adam Thielen being that guy because that's something that he's wanted, um, you know, for for quite a while now to be involved in that part of the passing game. So great to see that. And and if you know you take a look at this is a guy who, you know, throwing the ball to Stephon Diggs, throw the ball to Adam Thielen. Like there's a reason that they're so good at contested catches and they bail you out of a lot of situations. Um, that ended really well with the goal line touchdown, uh, the one yard pass to Alexander Madison. But those throws to Thielen and Diggs are stuff that Kirk's probably not going to be able to take out of his repertoire an overthrown ball like that, where Thielen's adjusting on his route and um, able to make that play. So that's probably my only critique, to be quite honest. Uh, and that's even nitpicking right there. But I think that the first team offense looked in sync. They looked pretty good. Um, and, and you couldn't ask for more than that. Like on the first drive to make a statement, um, and then get the offense off the first team offense off the field and put everybody on ice for the rest of the night. Well, I definitely thought that was a good idea. Okay. You went four for four. You got your touchdown. Now just take everybody off the field, put them in bubble wrap. Don't stand them anywhere near the sideline where someone could accidentally fall into them. You know, you don't want any injuries and you walked away with no first team injuries on the offensive or the defensive side, which was a good thing. And I, I don't know if he's going to do this during the regular season or not. But like you said, throwing it up to Diggs and Thielen, we've talked about it, we've talked about it, and to see him do it, uh, I thought there were times last year early in the season where he was willing to do things like that. Um, Philadelphia comes to mind where they took a big shot to, I think it was Thielen, when they were backed yeah, up toward like the, the goal line. Yeah, the five-yard line. And, and, yeah. and then that just went away like as the season went along and teams started to double-team Thielen and Diggs. So maybe it isn't that simple and defenses will once again plan for those two guys. But something like a play action or a first-down throw where you're just taking that shot early and they, and they can't just double-team like they would on third downs I think it's a really good idea for this offense and it was very noticeable with the first team offense lots of fullback some two tight end and all sorts of play action is very clear um, that they were not lying to us about what they're going to do I mean they're running yeah. a Gary Kubiak offense and that's what it looks like yeah and we know that the tight end is going to be featured heavily in this offense we know the fullback is going to have a prominent role um to me, what we saw there gives in, gives us indications of what this scheme's actually going to look like and how it's going to, you know, operate with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. I think the use of these heavier personnel groupings are not only going to, you know, benefit the run, but I mean, like, you, you can have a lot of like good, you can have good tight end sets that are going to make your run less predictable and, and and make it more effective. But I think the big takeaway from that is even in those personnel groupings, Kirk's going under center a lot more, at least just from what we saw. And it wasn't even just Kirk. It was Sean Mannion. Um, I think I noticed it a little bit with Kyle Sloter. I kind of stopped paying attention completely when Jake Browning was in there. Oh. But, um, but like, them going under center. And I remember talking, um, you know, doing a story on this last year, like, Kirk is so, quote-unquote, terrific in the boots. Why are they going away <laughs> from being – you know, why are they going away from play action? I yeah. talked with ES ESPN analyst Matt Bowen about this. He made a great point. Like your play action leads to your out can lead to your outside zone and your outside zone can lead to your play action. Like it works one in the same. Why do you think the Rams were so good with that last year? Um, and they were in 11 personnel the whole time. So, I mean, I think it's just like B, it, it can make you less predictable. If you're dropping back or if you're constantly in shotgun, teams can pick apart your weakness. Uh, pretty easily and I think you know don't you, do, you don't necessarily have to give away the runner pass you can sell play action you can do a lot of different things if Kirk's under center more 
Um, we just didn't see a whole ton of that the first 15, the first uh, 14 games of the season last year. So to me, that was hugely important that we saw some of that. And I think that that's going to carry into the whole notion of scheming around Kirk Cousins' strengths because play action, boot action, is, is that's his bread and butter. Well, I think that last year, part of it, and this is not to take any heat off of John Filippo, who deserved a lot of the criticism that he got, but it was, it, it was that, and Mike Zimmer was desperate to run a lot on first down, and that sometimes got them, because of the offensive line, into third down and long, where you can't run play action. There were also a lot of sacks of Kirk Cousins that put them out of situations where they could run play action. Um, so I think it was partly John Filippo not wanting to have that be the main part of his offense, and then the other part was just the situations. Um, so we're, we're very happy with the first team offense. There's no criticisms you could really possibly have uh, when they march down the field and, and score quickly. Second team offense comes on and they pretty much picked up where the first team offense left off um, against the Saints in the 34 to 25 victory. I had to hesitate there for a second because it's a preseason game. Um, but Sean Mannion comes in and shows what Sean Mannion has done throughout training camp. He's just looked like a solid NFL backup, and his touchdown pass to B.C. Johnson was pretty much the highlight of the night. Yeah, and I, I, B.C.'s catch was the highlight for me. I mean, I went into this game thinking, okay, which young receivers, not named Chad Beebe, are going to stand out in this game and, and push to be moved up further on the depth chart when they release their next one. I can't really think of anybody except for BC Johnson uh, that sh- that deserves to be moved up. I mean, we didn't see much from Jeff Bidette. Um, he was on return team a little bit. I noticed that in the third or fourth quarter. Um, so should we go back to calling him Jeff Badditt until <laughs> further notice? or You can do that. I do not need to mess up my pronunciation now that it is ingrained in my brain. Um but yeah, I mean, he was targeted once. He didn't have a single catch. But nothing from uh, nothing from Jordan Taylor, nothing from Alexander Hollins, nothing from um, Dylan Mitchell. Like, you know, I think that that's, you know, I don't even know. I need to look at the snap count tomorrow. Uh, but I don't think Dylan Mitchell played much at all. Like, that was kind of telling to me, just showing you, like, how much further along clearly coaches think Ola B.C. Johnson is than the other seventh-round receiver pick. But that's... You know, these are the moments that you have. to. There's three more of these. Unfortunately, there's three more of these, but it's a chance for these guys to separate themselves. And a catch like that's going to jump you up really quick for wide receiver number four, considering, I mean, where wh- what did Brandon Zilstra do today? Do tonight? Nothing. What did Laquan Treadwell yeah. do besides get a stupid, uh, you know, blindside block that he got called out for by Mike Zimmer? Like, nothing. Like, you know, the wide receiver battle is wide open and somebody like BC Johnson is taking advantage of it. Okay. Let's talk about the Treadwell thing. I mean, it's over, right? It's just over. I mean, he catches, he catches one pass. He commits a penalty that he's done several other times in his career. And they've they've told him not to do it. I mean, my gosh, like this guy does not listen, is not coachable whatsoever. They tell him to do stuff. They tell him to stop catching balls from the jugs machine. He keeps doing it. They tell him to stop running the stadium stairs. They, they've laid it out for him, and he just doesn't want to listen. And this is a block that he should know by now after being called for the third or fourth time that he's got to stop making. I mean, it's just very classic Laquan Treadwell. So as of right now, after he's, this game, yeah. I would say, okay, th- this, this, this needs to end. 
Yeah, I I mean, to me, I have not had him on any of my 53 projections, um, official and non-official, I guess, and, and stuff that you and I have talked about and the one I put out before camp. Um, Mike Zimmer showed them a play of this block, of this, you know, it's, it's something that he's done on special teams plays before, gotten fined for it. Um, because, you know, on, on return teams, like that's a serious penalty that, you know, put – you know, he's done it there, and then in this one, it put them out of field goal uh, range, which really irritated Mike Zimmer. The fact that he showed them a play of this last night said, do not do this. It's what you will get flagged <laughs> for. And Laquan does it anyways. I mean, his number one asset is as a special teams player, but he's getting edged out by guys. I mean, Mike Zimmer said it when I asked him, what are you looking for for four through six, basically? in terms of special teams, like, is it matter? He's like, we're looking at them as receivers first. Well, Laquan, you're, you're, you're so far off that, like as a receiver first, your special teams play at this point, I don't think is going to save you. So who do we got then is the fifth receiver? Because right now it's clearly Thielen Diggs, BB Johnson. And then, uh, and of course you're just going to win every one of these. I think that we ever do where we pick two guys who are either undrafted or drafted the same. And and, then we battle over it. Well, I've got nothing on Dylan Mitchell. The fact that he barely played says everything you need to know about where he sits. But BC Johnson has been emerging a little bit in camp. And then tonight has a really good game, makes a great catch, uh, was wide open on his other route so to me right now he's at number four the question is who is number five I'll go ahead and put Jeff Bidette in there because Brandon Zilstra I don't know if it's an if it's an injury concern considering he came off the hamstring um, I don't know what it is he's he kind of just disappears on you like he can he can look like he's having a great camp a great few days of practice and then just doesn't show up and I don't he didn't catch a single pass on Friday night and you know the whole the fact of the matter is, like, what do you really need out of that number five and number six position at, at wide yep. receiver? I mean, a lot of it's just having a decoy in there, just a dude. Um, could that be Zilstra? Sure. But I think Bidette presents you something else on special teams that Zilstra doesn't. I mean, yes, that's how Zilstra made the roster last year, but he wasn't great at it. Um, and he had one catch for, like, 15 yards. So, I mean, there's – there's not a whole ton that I'm, I'm looking at there being like, wow, this is the clear-cut number five, which is not a big deal anyways. But right now, I, I'll put my money on Jeff Bidette any day because, you know, the speed factor is something that they said they want out of somebody there to give Kirk a vertical threat. Um, what's there to lose at, at that? I mean, is he, if he can stay healthy, he's my guy if I'm looking at for that position because, you know, really nobody else has stood out. Um Maybe against uh, who are they playing next week? Seattle in the preseason. I don't know. Like, Probably someone. Um, like may- maybe somebody else emerges then. But I think as we go week to week on this depth chart, um, looking at guys who actually do something in the passing game, just beyond special teams for these other spots, is going to be important. Courtney Cronin at TCO Performance Center. Matthew Collar in studio. Purple Daily here as always. Um, okay, so do you want to go to the tight ends or the backfield here? Because the backfield uh, was interesting, but also one tight end had a particularly nice game on Friday night. Well, I know where your heart is, and we can talk about fullbacks, so why don't we just go back to the backfield? <laughs> All right. Well, we saw lots of CJ Ham even lined up as a wide receiver once and Kari Blassingame, who um, 
you know, maybe if he catches a few more touchdowns, becomes Mr. Mankato somehow, Seriously. the backup fullback. At, at this moment, I've got Kari Blassingame as a practice squad player because I think they're going to want to have a fullback if C.J. Ham gets hurt <coughs> because they're going to use it all the time. But that's that's all I really want to say about the fullbacks, I promise. I don't want to go on about it. Um, be, because the backfield was very interesting. We saw Alexander Madison get a ton of reps, which we expected. No Delvin Cook. Amir Abdullah with a big play. Mike Boone with a big play uh it would seem to me Courtney that they're gonna keep all of these guys probably yeah I mean oh so so you're thinking are we going back to five running backs I think they will I mean if Mike Boone continues to show an explosiveness and I know it's in the third or fourth quarter but they kept him around for a reason last year and they put him in some games last year so they clearly like him he has special athletic ability and he didn't just get in late in the game. He got in a little bit earlier, too. So, you know, I, I think there's a, a halfway decent chance they keep everybody, even though they did bring back Abdullah. They did bring in Madison. But it seems like everyone's got a little bit of a different skill set. I could see a case for them, uh, you know, keeping all of these guys. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you put Boone on the practice squad for now um, and then you figure it out later. Like if you're if you're moving around roster spots, you take away from another position, um, to elevate him there. I don't know. Like, I mean, it's tough because the numbers game might not be kind to Mike Boone right now, but also like Amir Abdullah looked really good in the open field tonight. He also kind of looked like a bonehead when he tried to switch the ball from one arm to the other when he's running, which led to the fumble and it was, you know, the Saints recovered it. That was not good. Um, and, and I think, you know, try, him trying to like bounce to the outside, uh, like when I think on that cutback, like it was supposed to I don't know like what was going on there like it didn't seem like he had the right field vision if you want to call mm-hmm. it that um but his open field running was really good I just think you kind of got the whole experience of Amir Abdullah in that moment um and he is a number three back and he also you know got got things on lock at least right now from the return aspect so yep. that to me shows like one two and three I don't know if they're really up for debate right now. It's just going to be a matter of if Mike Boone does that in every single game and if if little things with Amir Abdullah, um, you know, if little things like that keep happening, maybe they don't keep all four and maybe maybe Boone surpasses Abdullah. But I just can't see that happening right now. It would take a lot. But, um, you know, it's important considering how much they want to run the ball and a refocused effort to the rushing attack like that they have a lot of different skill sets. Um, and I think with Alexander Madison, you know, a situation here, like doubt, we don't know when Dalvin cook's going to play in the preseason. I tweeted this earlier. I think he needs to, I think you need to get him in a rhythm because the number one worst thing this team did last year was have such a discrepancy in workload between that week three game, um, either against, I think it was against Jacksonville. Uh, like he, he went from that. That was the only action he had last preseason to week one against San Francisco. And I don't know if that's really the healthiest option, even though he's completely fine. He's, you know, doesn't have any restrictions. I just think it'd be smarter to do that. But what we saw tonight, regardless of how much Dalvin Cook plays in the preseason, they're solid with my, with Alexander uh, Madison. I mean, he, he looked really good. He can shoulder a heavy workload. He can be a threat mm-hmm. for you in the passing game. Um, he's great at the goal line. Um, and he's, he's a, really versatile guy and there's I I I understand like using a third round pick to get him because you think you're going to use him a lot 
Um, yeah, and I thought actually his best play of Friday night was a bad throw by Sean Mannion, and he reached up and snatched it. And like he made a really nice catch, and they called it back for whoever knows re- why reason. I mean, my gosh, just penalties everywhere, yeah, challenges everywhere. This game could have been three interference hours. Thing. Like this pass interference thing is going to be a disaster, right? There's no question about it. Like, the... These coaches are going to try to get away with it. Like, oh, throw the flag. It was pass interference or whatever. Or it wasn't pass interference. So take it back, take it back. And it's going to have to be egregious for the referees to actually overturn these things. So we're just going to see coaches trying it all the time. And then it's not going to work. And everyone's going to be annoyed and say it's not working. And it's just, it doesn't look like it's going to be great. I, I hope I'm not overreacting because of the preseason. But didn't it feel like okay, guys, those aren't the type of pass interferences you're looking for to challenge. Well, I think that what we have here is not going to be as egregious, at least not right now, as the roughing the passer thing. I remember last preseason, yeah. yep. weren't, we, weren't we talking about, like, you know, how many dudes were getting fined? and uh, just It was, it was happy- madness. It yeah. was all the time. I mean, yeah, tonight we saw there was an OPI in, what, the first quarter. Mike Zimmer lost a challenge, then Sean Payton lost a challenge in the second half uh, for pass interference. Like, coaches are going to throw the flag. Referees are going to take a while to, to work the kinks out here. So that, to me, is what to expect in the preseason. I just don't really know beyond that. Like, games are going to take five hours. It is very long. I, I don't think that's going to change, like, because – you know that this is going to be an issue going into the pre going into the preseason, going into the regular season. And it's not just going to go away. Okay, we got it fixed. It's week three. Everything's streamlined. Nope, 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 nope. That's not going to happen. Nope. So, it's going to take a while. Yeah, uh, these preseason it's take games six are just, weeks. These preseason games are long. Tonight's was roughly about three, almost four hours. Ended about ten. Oh well, no, it started at seven. So it's about like three hours and. It was, too, like 15, it was too long. 15, 315. Yeah, it was, too, it was definitely too long, long, no matter so. how many minutes over three hours. All right, uh, let's take a break here. We will return. We've got tight ends to get to. We've got the defensive line to get to. Your Mr. Mankato pick made a bit of a surge on Friday night against the Saints, uh, along with some other things as well, including... Teddy Bridgewater and his performance against his former team. We will get to all that. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar from uh, the studios here, Hubbard Studios, and at TCO Performance Center on the phone. Uh, Courtney Cronin, we're taking a look at the preseason victory for the Minnesota Vikings over the New Orleans Saints. A revenge game, obviously, for everyone, Courtney. Uh, But if... I mean, if you've talked to people like we have over the last week or so about facing Teddy Bridgewater, and if you remember last year where the players were all gathering to watch when Teddy Bridgewater was going to get on the field for the Jets because they all wanted to see it, um, to see him lead a touchdown drive, considering what he went through, is just flat out amazing. I mean, Mike Zimmer said it. He said the numbers were completely against Teddy Bridgewater. They said this guy should have no chance almost to come back and have an NFL career again. Um, the tight end from the Bears was Zach Miller, had a very similar injury. He hasn't come back from that. And, yeah. he, and here's Teddy Bridgewater 
Uh, he took a low hit from Hercules Mata'afa. He made a back shoulder throw. He threw a touchdown. I mean, it was, I think, a very good performance from Teddy Bridgewater. And you see now why the Saints wanted to pay him a bunch of money to come back there and be the backup. Yeah, I mean, this is this is just the beginning. Uh, he's 14-19, 134 yards and a touchdown, no turnovers. Um, he looked pretty good. Uh, all things considered, for a preseason game, I think it actually is very promising for the Vikings that the rotational spots uh, at, no, at three technique can get in, can push the pocket and get some pressure on the quarterback. But as it relates to Teddy, I think he looked fine. Um, he's got a long road, I'm sure, still ahead of him. Just to you know, I mean, Drew Brees is there. It's not like he's going to be playing. Right. You know, he's not going to be back to where he was in 2015. And it's like this is my team. Um, I am the starting quarterback. Who who knows how much longer he'll be playing? But as Sean Payton told Mike Zimmer, who told us in a conversation that they had before the Saints game last year in week eight, he feels like he has a future quarterback in the building. So all indications show you that things are pointing up for Teddy Bridgewater. And it was a nice moment. Like, I think that that was really cool uh, for him to to do what he did against his former team. And um, I'm sure that that's something that these players and and Mike Zimmer for sure definitely won't forget. And I thought he looked very much like Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, He didn't move around a ton like he would usually shuffle in the pocket. Maybe there was a little bit of dancing there, but uh, he made some strong throws. It looked like his arm strength could even be a little better than it was when he was just coming into the league. So uh, that will be a story that, of course, in Minnesota, people are tracking for a very long time. Now let's get back to the Vikings and how things played out in the first preseason game. The defensive line, Cordy, your Mr. Mankato pick was Hercules Mata'afa, and what we've seen in practice is not a whole lot. Now, I will give you the reason, I think, for that is because he's gone against the first team in practice. And so he played against the second team in this game and was pretty dominant. I thought he was probably the best interior defensive lineman, but Jalen Holmes looked good. Jaleel Johnson, like they all had pretty good days there on the interior filling in for Linval Joseph and Shamar Stefan, who did not play. Yeah. And Afadio Denebo too, I thought looked really good. Yep. Um, there was a little scare that maybe he was hurt. Uh, and then he, I guess he just walked off the field. So <laughs> Number one, they avoided injury, at least that we know of. Guys that were yeah. not having – they didn't have to stop the game to get anybody off the field. Great. Two thumbs way up. Um, but as it relates to, like, Odenabo and, um, you know, I think that he was definitely the bright spot of the, of the defensive end rotation just because – or they are just of, like, the reserves because, you know, we really don't know what they have outside of Stephen Weatherly, who was the most, I guess, like, decorated of the – backups you know just from what he did last season so that was good he was able to get a sack I know he had the one that the one that was negated and he did get a sack on uh, Teddy Bridgewater but Jalen Holmes and, and Jale- in excuse me and Hercules Mata'afa are going to push each other hard for that um, three for the backup three technique spot and as I have it on my 53 right now like both of them are making this team and that's great because you need guys to stop the run first and foremost. I mean, that's Shamar Stefan's bread and butter. Um, and I do think that Mike Zimmer mentioned it. Like, they, he didn't like that they, there were a lot of missed tackles in the first half, and, and they did give up some, some big yardage um, in the run game, or at least, you know, all things considered. It wasn't like it was Alvin Kamara running all over you. But um, as it relates to the passing downs and kind of what they were doing, having Holmes go in there, having Mata'afa go in there, both of them walking away uh, with a really nice performance on Friday night. I think they're in a good spot. Like this is probably the best you can hope for 
from that position if you don't have someone like Sheldon Richardson playing three technique. I will say it has been a little frustrating to me, and maybe I understand why they're saying it, because they couldn't keep Sheldon Richardson. They didn't have the money to keep him. But there's almost been this like little bit of shade thrown at Sheldon Richardson whenever anyone talks about Shamar Stefan. Like, well, you know, this year I think we'll be a lot better at stuffing those runs. Like, look, guys were a, a decent run defense. Run defense doesn't matter that much. Linval Joseph was banged up last year. That's why he still isn't practicing or playing in these games. So, I mean, to blame it on Sheldon Richardson, who did exactly what you asked him to do. He came in and he was top 15 in the NFL at his position in uh, pressures, quarterback pressures, and he was by pro football focus, his grades, an average run defender. I don't think that that's someone that can easily be replaced. And there's a lot of value in how dangerous Sheldon Richardson was. So even though Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa both played pretty well, you know, I think we're going to have to see a lot more to feel any sort of confidence that they have this situational rusher there that could be even what Tom Johnson was to them for a number of years. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, this is this is what you what you can hope for when you have a rotation at that position. You don't want it to become a revolving door, but everybody has a different role. Like, you know, maybe maybe Jalen Holmes will be kind of secondary to to stopping the run and better at that than Hercules Mataafa. And Hercules is your guy you bring in on third down um, in a situational pass rush role. I really liked how. It felt like they never really missed. I mean, granted, it was against like the second team, but it didn't feel like they missed a beat um, with the second team defense and being able to keep the quarterback high in the pocket um, and, and get some interior push because that's the one thing I kind of had the fear of. Okay, now that they don't have a guy like Sheldon Richardson, how are they going to replicate that? And it seemed like you know just having more bodies in there is is probably the fix. So I I think you walk away confident. At, with this defensive line in the state that's in right now, and just now that we're getting to actually see some of that depth come alive and actually, um, you know, perform, uh, because we didn't really know what they had in, in Jalen Holmes and in Afadio Denebo and in Hercules Mataoff and some of these unproven guys who are fighting for spots. Uh, that could be part of, and I don't know if there, we, nobody's talked about a defensive line rotation. That was a thing last year. It doesn't seem to be a thing this year. No, it hasn't but been discussed th- at all. No, situational pass rush. I mean, we can talk about that all you want till you're blue in the face, and, and these guys are the guys we'd be talking about. So I, my thought on the defensive line as a whole, Courtney, is that I'm pretty sure I've got a good feel of Daniil Hunter being an amazing NFL player who gets like 12 sacks, right? Aside from that, though, confidence level in terms of everyone else, though, I'm not real sure of. Like, I think I know what Shamar Stefan is, but I don't think it's as valuable as they seem to think it is when it comes to stuffing the run. And then the rest of it, I mean, yeah, we'll see if somebody starts to emerge even more here. And Jalen Holmes didn't look out of place when he was playing with the first team necessarily, but he also didn't look dominant. But I think it comes down to... Linval Joseph and Everson Griffin, because they are two of the biggest candidates for falling off big time. And it's really hard to tell right now whether either one of those guys is going to be what they used to be. But my confidence is not super high in Linval Joseph coming off of surgeries. We've heard that from players in the past of just how difficult that is to come back, especially when you don't have a full training camp. And Everson Griffin, I have no idea. I mean, he plays one series tonight in training camp. He looks good, but why wouldn't he look good in training camp? 
I, I, I don't know what they're getting from those two guys because this has the potential to be one of the better defensive lines or a more of a mid-pack defensive line. Yeah, and I think with Linville, I mean, who knows when he's going to be able to be full go where you can actually like push guys, which is um, we've seen him so limited in, in the team stuff and, and all that during practice. So it was no surprise that he was held out on on Friday. But I, um, I think that this is finally going to be the year that we see Jaleel Johnson do something. Linville's approaching and he's at the other side of 30 soon. Like he's in the last year, uh, you know, potentially the last years in Minnesota, just given the contract situation. Um, this is a good chance for Jaleel Johnson to show that, you know, he enjoys playing nose tackle and he's good at playing nose tackle. I think there's there's reason to believe, too, with Everson Griffin that he might not be able to get to 2017 form. Yes, he's been killing dudes in practice and one on one. But can you sustain that for a whole 16 games when you're getting up there? And we know pass rushers sometimes you know, trail off at like 31 years old. Um, so having that depth behind you, it may not be elite depth, but it's still pretty good. So it, even if you're, I think you can be really a really good defense. Um, I mean, what happens up front is important because of the depth concerns you have on the back end. But um, I think you can get by if you're a top, you know, a middle of the pack, you know, top 10, top 12, top 15 defensive line. Um, I don't know if they really have to be, like, uh, you know, a top five to make this defense as good as it as good as as it can be. I mean, sure, that's ideal. But if you have that many capable bodies rotating in, I think you can at least get by for this season, don't you? I think so. But if you're going, it depends on how good the offense is going to be. Really, for me to answer yeah. that question, because if you're going to get by with the 14th best or 10th best defensive line in the NFL in terms of how well you stop the run and how well you get after the passer, you're just going to have to be better on offense because the Vikings have really relied heavily on having an elite defensive line most of the time during the Mike Zimmer era here. And last year there were times where they had Everson Griffin out, but Sheldon Richardson was still in there. Linval Joseph, Daniel Hunter now with Richardson gone and the other two with question marks around them. You know, if they can't rely on the defensive line to get pressure with four people, then that I think changes the dynamic of what the secondary looks like. And we can, it worries me about the secondary. Like that puts so much more pressure on that unit for a group that has so many questions. Right. I mean, you know, uh, Trey Waynes is in his prime and we know exactly what he is, but we don't know exactly what you're going to get from Xavier Rhodes. Uh, we assume Harrison Smith will continue to be very good, but I don't think it's super easy to project exactly what you'll get from Anthony Harris with such a limited sample size. And I would say the same thing for Mackenzie Alexander. I mean, maybe this is, you know, I think what Judd Zolgad would say to me is like, look, every year there are question marks about the secondary and then it's always great because it's Mike Zimmer and he's probably got a point there. But I think still it's worth mentioning that uh, kind of across the defense outside of the linebackers, there is at least one place where we go, well, you know, that might not be perfect. And the, the way that I've looked at it is they had a great defense last year, fourth in the NFL in yards allowed. They can definitely repeat that. As far as being the number one, I don't know if that's going to be able to happen unless all these things end up turning out to be nothing that we should have ever been worried about. Yeah, I mean, with, with a defensive line, I mean, you're right. That is going to put a lot of pressure on the back end of things where there's depth concerns, there's age and injury concerns, there's a lot of things, uh, inexperience concerns. 
whatever. Like, I mean, if they can, if they're really confident in their twos and their threes right now at the, at the tackle spots, particularly, you know, behind Linville Joseph with, which Aleel, because we know, we already know three techniques going to be a rotation that's down. Um, Daniil Hunter is going to be drawing a lot of double teams. So how are they going to try to counterbalance that um, at the other defensive end position? I mean, if Everson Griffin doesn't look great, um, they've got bodies. So the numbers game, I think works out for them really well here. It's just when they actually go against good offenses. Um, and I'm not saying, I mean, like, Good offenses in the regular season. I'm not saying anything bad about the Saints, but it was a preseason game. Right. Like, how is that going to look? Um, so, let, can I circle back to uh, tight ends? Because sure. Because I, I forgot to get to tight ends, as and we sort of went over to the defense and how they played. Unless, do you have another thought on the defense? I mean, I thought like, yeah, okay. As soon as the second team came in, it weren't that great. Uh, it's hard to tell with the secondary from the TV broadcast if there were mistakes and things like that. So it's kind of difficult to judge the second teamers. The fact that Chris Boyd didn't play, um, yeah, did, weird. Didn't know that weird. was going to happen. So maybe we can get an explanation on that because I didn't see him get injured at any point. So that was kind of strange. And now it seems like. Uh, a couple of these AAF guys, maybe Duke Thomas and uh, Duran Smith, and Carter, are going to be Carter the ones. Schultz too. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're going to be the ones that end up uh, making the team, sort of in the back end to fill out the roster. But aside from that, I mean, I don't really know what to say about the secondary. Well, I think Nate, is it Meters or Meters? Um, I mean, he made the, a he made a great play. Yeah, Nate Meters. Yeah, that, that, that was a really good heads up play when when the ball bounced off of Dan Arnold's hands. Um, and he was in the right spot at the right time. Like that type of stuff, when you have question marks of, of guys that you just, I mean, with Holton Hill's situation and Mike Hughes, the uncertain timetable of his return. And, you know, beyond that, I mean, why did Chris Boyd not play? I mean, we'll probably get an answer for that sometime soon, but maybe it's, it, it's concerning. Um, but it's also a good opportunity for dudes like him, Duke Thomas, Craig James, um, make your case right now. Benet Ben Wickery did not look great. Uh, and, and when a, when you have a veteran like that playing in the fourth quarter, and he, I think he made, I can't remember what the mistake he made was, but he just didn't look really good. And I know he just got there. You mean so this not, year's not... Tremaine Brock or this year's George <laughs> Iloka? Yeah, I'm not tripping on it, but I just think that it's like you're a, four, you're a veteran, you're coming in the fourth quarter, like you're playing this late in the game. Um you might want to do something, but no, I think that the, the, the meters meters play was, was good. And to figure out the, that fifth cornerback spot, um, these are, these are going to be the games where you judge the cornerbacks the most. Yeah. And I just find it to be difficult to figure out, you know, was this guy in, in the right coverage and things like that, that Mike Zimmer would be able to judge easier than us. And the only splash play was really just meters grabbing the ball when it bounced right in front of him and taking it all the way back to the end zone. Um, so anyway, tight ends, I'm thinking four. I'm, I'm sticking with where yeah. I was before. And I think that uh, David Morgan probably makes this team, but doesn't start the regular season. And Tyler Conklin just carried over with what he's been doing in training camp on a daily basis. He looked really great. And what I like the most out of that, and I'm sure they don't want to show too much, but at the same time did show a little creativity with a tight end screen behind the line of scrimmage. I looked at a bunch of San Francisco 49ers plays and how they got George Kittle the ball. And that was definitely one way is make it look like the guy's going to block and then dump the ball to him. And everyone has, has already kind of treated him like a blocker. And uh, Conklin showed a little speed there. He's definitely a guy that I think that they'll be keeping. 
Oh, without question. I think that that tight end screen is really hard to defend. Um, so that's great. Like, you know, that's, that's straight out of Gary Kubiak's playbook. So to incorporate something like that shows you just like how focal, how much of a focal point these tight ends are going to be. Um, to me, it's, it's very much decided one, two, and three, Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith, and Tyler Conklin. Uh, someone asked me this question on Twitter during the game. Well, what do you think about David Morgan? Um, and do I keep, do I think they keep tight ends Four tight ends? I do, but for that fourth spot, is it Morgan? Is it Cole Hickettini? Is it Brandon Dillon? Um, I think Morgan's in a situation now where he might not make the team because he hasn't been out there. And I mean, yes, he's a very valuable run, run blocking asset. Um, he's very good tight end, but you know, the other two might surpass him for that role. And I mean, maybe it would benefit him just to go to IR for the year. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's hard to say it's hard to get answers from anyone on who's going to return when, but the fact that he hasn't really been doing anything is not a particularly good sign for him. And I, I agree with you that he can be a valuable special teams player and a valuable blocker. And it would make sense to keep four, but if Hickettini plays well, then, you know, maybe they would go with him instead. I think that they would want David Morgan to be back. We just don't have any idea if, and when that will happen, but it makes a lot of sense to at least keep those three. Maybe he starts the season on IR. I think what you could do six games, right? So you can go on for six yeah, games and come, come back. Off of that. Maybe that happens. Uh, that would make sense to me, but I think Tyler Conklin is a guy who looks like he could be a legit weapon for this team. And, and I don't know if we really thought that coming into the uh, preseason. So why don't we take a break, Courtney, when we come back, we have not discussed it yet, but Kyle Sloter went full Kyle Sloter preseason and we will discuss uh, to wrap up the hour here. You are listening to purple daily on score North. All right. Final segment here. The first hour with Courtney Cronin. She is out at TCO performance center. Matthew collar here with you as always. If you missed any of our breakdown of the Vikings Friday night matchup between uh, them and the saints, then uh, go back and listen to it. Download it on iTunes, our very, very free show here that you can get every day straight connected into your face. So, all right. Um, let's talk about Kyle Slaughter because we yeah, have, why not? we have said it and we've talked about it. He just hasn't looked good. Jake Browning has taken a bunch of reps from him at practice. He's overthrowing people. He hasn't been accurate. He has not been thrown a good ball and he has not challenged Sean Manning in the least. And of course you knew this was coming Courtney, that the moment he stepped on the field for preseason, he would make plays and lead a touchdown drive. You knew it was going to happen and he did it. I mean, honestly, I kind of had like, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, you know, oh, what's that? Is that is that the Jay Z song they play when Tom Brady comes out? Like, uh, <laughs> allow me to reintroduce myself. Oh, like, boy. I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, Kyle Slaughter, like, he, here he is, Mr. Preseason. And I mean, good lord, Mike Zimmer says, yeah, he's not a great practice player, but he's really good in games. And I think he looked pretty good tonight. I mean, I just am kind of concerned. I don't understand what's going on. Like, in practice, he's clearly not the number three. He's not getting the number three reps, at least you know, from what we see every single day, but in games, I mean, he went in before Jake Browning and I mean, sure, maybe that changes next week, but I'm just, I'm not sold yet that he's going to make any sort of push. And I know they were talking about this on the broadcast uh, that I I believe it was Pete Burzich who said that Kyle Sloter is a better backup quarterback than Sean Mannion because he had crisper passes and um, looked better. I I do not believe that for a second. No, I don't agree Um, with that at all. I mean, he looked 
good by his standards in this game, but Mannion, I mean, Mannion's 7 to 13, 102 yards and a touchdown. He didn't turn the ball over. He looked fine. He looked serviceable. He looked good. And that and that throw to Ola BC Johnson was actually very, very good. Um, I don't think Kyle Sloter is the backup on this team. I don't think he will push for it at all. I think this is a preseason thing, and preseason thing is where it will stay. Um, I I know that people are going to want to make this a thing because he's a fan favorite, and mm. um, it's kind of like one of those cult classic things, like an Audie Cole or a Bucky Hodges or whatever else it is. Um, Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke. Like Cloud Bethel dude. Thompson. Yeah, they're out there. Um, like – no, thanks. I, I, I'm kind of over the whole, like, argument there. Um, I think Sean Mannion's your backup quarterback. It's just, you know, I want to see him in some really important situations. Because think about it. Last year, we didn't see that. Uh, we didn't see a lot of good things from Trevor Simeon in the preseason. No, we definitely all. did not. So let's let's not do the same thing, and let's see some good stuff from Sean Mannion. Okay, so I want to switch gears here for the end of the uh, hour and just ask you something about uh, an article written on ESPN Insider because it relates to the preseason and the players that we're looking at in the core of the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, they wrote about uh, ranking all the teams by their talent of players who are under the age of 25, right? Yeah. And last year, the Vikings were eighth in that. And this year, they are ranked 28th in terms of those players. Now, part of that is because Stefan Diggs still had not turned 25. Now he is 25. It's not like he's decrepit and aging. And, uh, right. <laughs> yes. So, you know, uh, Daniil Hunter is still, I believe, under 25, which is outrageous and absurd. It makes no sense to me um, that he still has turned 25. That like Chad Beebe is older than Daniil Hunter. And we still talk about Chad Beebe as like, oh, this young guy who's sort of emerging. And Daniil Hunter is already a superstar. But any anyway, what does that say anything to you? I mean, if that doesn't mean anything to you, you, you could say that. But the fact that they are now ranked very low in players under the age of 25 kind of speaks to what we've been talking about, how last year wasn't necessarily a Super Bowl or bust type of thing because they had a lot of players coming back. But now you feel closer to that as an organization, the bust part of it. Uh, if you don't make this happen this year and possibly next year, it just kind of, I think it says something about kind of where the Vikings are as a franchise. Yeah, and I think it points to the fact that your core is not going to be able to be kept together for far much longer. Like, you know, you have all these guys under contract through minimum of 2021, but guys you can start parting ways with after this season, guys who are, you know, approaching or already on the other side of 30. Um, I think it's an important thing when, when you look at these lists. I mean, the teams that are high up, it, it, it is reflective of really good draft strategy. It's, it's reflective of, um, you know, homegrown talent, finding guys, building them through your system, building through the draft. But, um you know, I don't think that means everything at the end of the day, like having a really good young core, um, you know, speaks to speaks to a lot of things. But look, Anthony Barr is in his prime. He's 26 years old. Like he's still really darn good. Yeah. Sean Diggs is 25. Um, you know, Adam Thielen is like, what, like 29, like tw at the 28, 29. Like these guys are still really like just because they're a little bit older and they're approaching like the late 20s. I still think that they're young enough uh, to, to contend and, and to do all this stuff. It's just, you know, you feel the clock, I think a little bit further. Um, 
and a little bit heavier when you look at guys who are getting up there and getting beyond this 25 threshold. Um, but to me, it's not, you know, I think it's just a way to measure teams um, and measure how these teams are built. And and we know with the Vikings, they always say they want to build through the draft uh, first and then go to free agency. And they really have held true to that. Yeah. When you draw a line arbitrarily through a certain age, then you might get some weird results for sure. Um, but I think that's always sort of like how many guys are going to have to be on second contracts. And as we look around, sure. I, I just think about from this team's perspective, as it relates to the preseason, which we are fully in now thank goodness right um at least for the first two preseason games and then the third and fourth one I've had enough by then for sure but um you know I I guess it just I look at this team from the younger player perspective is there anybody gonna step up who's going to become an Adam Thielen or whatever you know player who's uh, like Anthony Harris undrafted and I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure that I've seen it so far in training camp. And maybe you wouldn't have seen it with Adam Thielen's first training camp and the Vikings just had to see enough to put him on the practice squad and everything else. You usually don't count on that happening. Uh, I just wonder where they're at in terms of asking some of these players that they bring in with later draft picks and things like that of finding more gems because in a way this team is built on diamonds in the rough that are very hard, if not impossible to repeat with Thielen, Diggs, Daniil Hunter. I mean, even at one point, uh, Everson Griffin is a fourth round draft pick. So I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a real super serious point there other than just this, this is going to be hard to keep up for a very long time. Yeah. And I mean, you're always going to, we call them diamonds in the rough, but there's always good football players that you can find third round and on. Um, you know, we, we think Alexander Madison could be that guy this year, like depending upon how big of a role he has in this offense. And it does feel like it will be sizable. Um, maybe he's that guy that, you know, we talked about Pat Elfline being that guy a few years ago when he was drafted in the third round and immediately became a starter and a very effective one at that. Um, I think there's, you know, a lot to be said just with their draft strategy and, and the way that they've scouted these guys and built these guys through their system. Um, I don't know if there's any real exact science to it. Um, you know, Stefan Diggs is a fifth round pick. Like, you know, ha- had he performed the way he does in the NFL in college and stayed healthy, would he be a first round pick? I mean, maybe. Like, yeah. it's just, you know. It's kind of a crapshoot in a, in a lot of ways, but it does speak to the bigger picture of how much longer do you guys have with these guys to contend for a title? Um, that's something that always has to be part of the equation and yeah. part of you know what you're talking about because it doesn't feel like it, it feels like a long time when we're talking about this two years ago, but two years go real, real, real quick. And um, I think that that window just feels like it keeps shrinking. Uh, Courtney Cronin of ESPN, Matthew Collar, it's Purple Daily. You can download it and get two hours of football talk every single day here. We'll take a break. Uh, Courtney, thanks for your time. You'll be in studio on uh, Tuesday as always, right? Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, sure. Yeah, I, it's, it's fine. We'll I figure lose, it out. I lose entire track of the days uh, here. Like we're playing on a Friday, so it's like, what? what, what when is Monday? I don't know. Anyway, so. I I don't know. We're in a time warp. We, we will be back together again very soon as we carry on in this training camp slash preseason. We'll be right back listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, 
or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.